Welcome to Barnes University Radio. Thanks for clicking play. Thanks for checking out this episode. Today's episode, pretty simple. Um, a few things that I just wanted to talk about in the Titans community. I've been kind of off uh, my main social platform that I talk about the Titans, and that's Twitter for a little bit. Handling business, trying to set some things up for 2020. Um, but, you know, this is an, an exciting time for the Tennessee Titans. And winning three straight, I believe, that seven and five right now, a month left in the season. They have the ability to go, you know, 11 and five, 10 and six. Um, so, you know, their future is in their hands. Um, so they have the ability to make the playoffs or and even win the division. But there's two things that I just see floating around you know, Twitter a lot. And this happens a lot when the Titans get on a streak. Fans, you know, they're happy like they're supposed to be. And then we start talking about things. And sometimes we're in the prison being prisoners of the moment. Sometimes we're not. And that's that's why I have to say this. There's about a few hats that you can wear as a Titans evaluator, as a sports fan or as a sports enthusiast, as I should say. Um, there's the fan hat. And then there are several different types of fans. And then there's the executive hat. And then there's the coach hat. And there's the player hat. I'm telling you right now, everybody in the Tennessee Titans organization, they're singularly focused on the Oakland Raiders. That's their next opponent that they play on the 8th of December 2019 in Oakland. They're singularly focused on that squad to, you know, extend their playoff lives. That's what they're focused about. Okay. Now, there's the fans that are excited. Some are excited about what we're doing. Everybody's saying, you know, Derrick Henry is the GOAT and Ryan Tannehill is this and that great and all of that. And the defense is awesome. Then you have fans like the same old Titans. They're going to break your heart at some point. You know, you have those people. And then you have some some who have more of a, I guess, an unbiased viewpoint to where they know how to state the facts they know how to kind of rationalize what's happening and then they speak their piece um now people who don't know about my platform and what i try to do um for over the past six seven maybe even eight years what i've done is uh but more recently really just trying to put myself in the gm shoes and see how run run this team myself and as an executive in this moment even john robinson he's singularly focused on oakland and and, you know obviously he's helping out with the scouts and preparing for the future but he knows that you have to be all in what's going on right now but i'm not on the squad so i i have the ability to to kind of look at this season from a a wider angle. It's not week to week for me. It's a, 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 a grand scope of things. And it's because, um, you know, some of the things that Tennessee Titans are doing successfully, which is, you know, other than the, uh, the free agent acquisitions of Roger Saffold, who I agreed with, uh, Adam Humphreys, who I agreed with, resigning uh, Kenny Vaccaro, which I agreed with, like all of these things. And when I say agreed with, I, I projected it before it happened. Um, you know, even Cameron Wake, the addition of Cameron Wake, this is all documented. So all of these additions to this team and and implementing a deep threat like 
Khalif Raymond that kind of opens up the offense. It provides a different element to the offense. Acquiring a decisive um, backup quarterback in wake of a meltdown or an injury to Marcus Mariota. All of these things are checklisted. Um, so the Tennessee Titans followed the plan. But as far as the implementation of the plan earlier in the season, I thought that the number one goal for the season was to protect your quarterback. The Tennessee Titans have given up 49 sacks thus far, the most in the league after 12 weeks. That has an effect on the seven and five record. Um, implementing a deep threat earlier in the year, they didn't start using Khalif Raymond until the past few weeks when they've been winning. Um, so, Certain aspects like that, other than, you know, feeding Derrick Henry, a lot of people are going to say we wasn't feeding him enough earlier in the season. When the fact of the matter is we were we were. It was just that we got down early or we were just playing better defenses. If you were to go back and look at the past few games that Derrick Henry has actually exploded, look at the run defense ranks of those teams. And I'm just saying this is just context for what's actually going on. So really what I want to get down to is. Everybody's entitled to their opinion and how they, you know, interpret what's going on, because I feel like this year in total, I don't know if it's just this weird energy out there, but I think there's been a lot of overreactions. I, I think there's been a lot of sensationalism, a lot of fickle viewpoints and opinions on a lot of things, you know, and I'm not immune to it. But what I'm saying is it's just been a weird, a weird type of year to where, you know, um, once you have an opinion about something, it can quickly change. The season is long. The NFL season is long. But I feel like there's there's an air out there that's kind of like that needs to be said. There's there's an there's an aura out there that there or a narrative, I should say, that needs to be debunked. You, you do not have to have a set in stone opinion about this football team who we we we, we got to. Be grateful that they're seven, seven and five and have a chance to go to the playoffs. And it's been an, an exciting season. Yes. But for the people who have the opposite viewpoint, we did lose against the Buffalo Bills by missing three field goals when, in fact, you know, you shouldn't have had maybe the kicker kick that many times, especially when you had fourth and short opportunities. You did lose against the Colts. Um in a game that, you know, possibly a few different uh, decisions here and there could have given you a win. You know, we can always play hindsight 2020 and we love that word. Right. But at the end of the day, that's what the NFL is. It's seizing the moment and problem solving at a rapid rate. The teams who can problem solve at a rapid rate and learn from mistakes using those hindsight 2020 moments to improve. Those are the teams that do what the Titans are doing now and adding a fullback. Like one of the big things with the Tennessee Titans was we are a smash mouth physical running football team. Yet you had no traditional blocking tight end or a fullback on your roster. Stated that months ago. Soon after I stated that, they signed Kyrie Blassingame, um, former Vandy guy, uh, but were, was previously with the Minnesota Vikings. So all of these things are coming together. They're starting. It's starting all. It's starting to all make sense, right? Um. So I just wanted to state that defending both the optimistic fan and the pessimistic fan, you both are correct. 
And nothing is wrong with that. And I'm also stating how I feel about the whole process. I know I've been I've seen this team in the hunt for several seasons before. I've seen them make the playoffs. I've seen beautiful comeback wins. I've seen them come short. You know, I've seen everything. So I'm coming from I'm coming to the party as an elder statesman, as opposed to a grumpy old man saying, get off my porch. Let's rationalize what's happening. And and also my position is at one of an executive mind, a general manager's mind. I'm just stating this could have all been done earlier in the season, getting a traditional fullback, implementing a, a, a deep threat type of speed receiver to open things up and having having a, the ability to have a, a shot play here and there. The kill shot, as they recently said in the media, you know, having those things. You know, almost every free agent signing other than a few reinforcement offensive linemen, you know, to a T. So I've I've already mapped this thing out. So it's no surprise to me. I'm just saying what took so long. So that's really all I wanted to say in the first, you know, few 10 minutes of this podcast. And then I wanted to close with what I recently saw um, someone say, um, you know, Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey. Everybody knows that in 2017, the number five pick, I would have selected Christian McCaffrey. And a lot of the criticism um, to me or or, or of that pick was um, he's a running back. We already have Derrick Henry. We really need a wide receiver. We really need this. We really need that. It doesn't make sense. But yet he's an MVP candidate. And uh, we see why I liked him so much at that position. Um so just based off of that, can you say that that would have been the wrong pick now because of Derrick Henry's emergence as a top five running back in this league? You know, I say the more the merrier, because if you look at the situation, let's look at if that scenario played out. My whole thinking in the 2017 draft, having two first round picks and then a couple third round picks was, I made sure that I scouted the depth of the raw receiver class that year. I knew that I did not have to take a Corey Davis at pick five. I knew that there was a guy that was kind of underrated in Kenny Galladay that would probably be available in the third round. So that's why I didn't I didn't think raw receiver was that urgent in the 2017 draft. And it, in my honest opinion, Drafting Christian McCaffrey gave you the flexibility to both have an elite running back and also have an elite slot receiver, if need be, and a special teamer in terms of the return game. So that was my mindset of drafting Christian McCaffrey. He's a jack of all trades, you know, can do a lot of things well. And then obviously we already know about the Tredavious White over a Dory Jackson pick at pick 18, I think. So when we talk about if he was on the squad, how would that work? Well, let's think about the time of Derrick Henry's role, uh, that time frame. He was basically a backup to DeMarco Murray. Um, he had some splash plays in his rookie year. And we look at that going into that second season, DeMarco Murray was still projected to be the starter. So he was a backup running back at the time. Um, DeMarco Murray was on his way out. You could see signs of aging. And you did not have to pick up DeMarco Murray's 
you know, option or whatever, or you could have cut him. You he could have played the backseat role. DeMarco Murray's 2017 season, other than a few highlight moments, I remember the Cincinnati Bengals game for one that kind of sticks out. Um, other than those few splash plays in 2017, DeMarco Murray was a shell of himself um, from the season prior. He just was looked slow. He looked hobbled. He looked like a player that was ready to retire. So drafting Christian McCaffrey would have been a great pairing with Derrick Henry. And then if we fast forward now, obviously having two top five running backs is just crazy because you could have Derrick Henry in the backfield, flex CMC, Christian McCaffrey in the slot, and then you could go to town, you know. So let's just think about that for one, just having both of them on the team and then having one as a trade asset. Let's just say like that. That's a good thing. But if we look at those players individually, you look at what they, they mean to their team. Derrick Henry is a workhorse, a guy that when he gains momentum, he's he's an elite back. That 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 has been he has proved me wrong in terms of um, what he can do consistently. I feel like he can do what he does. Um, probably against most defenses I won't say he's done his his worst damage damage excuse me against bad defenses that's a fact he's done he's killed bad defenses against elite defenses not as much it's hard to do same thing with Christian McCaffrey is that that's the whole purpose of having an elite defense mid-tier defenses he does well but you look at the style of play Christian McCaffrey um his vision um his his elusiveness his breakaway speed, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, um, his ability to take it to the house at, at, on any position of the field, at any spot of the field. You look at Derrick Henry, a guy that needs to get momentum to have some power. He's not a natural power runner. He's just not. He do, he's not a, a Marshawn Lynch. He needs momentum to gain that power. He's not necessarily a hard finisher, but he's a long strider that can also take take. You know, it's it's crazy to say a 6'3", 250-pound running back can take it the distance from anywhere on the field. But he has that rare, rare size-speed combination, which watching tape, you didn't really see that much. When I watched tape on Derrick Henry in 2015-2016, what I saw was a player with a unique ability to always be moving forward. When when I watched tape of him, that's what I liked about his game. He he always was moving forward at the end of a hit. It wasn't necessarily because he was physical. It was his length. He's 6'3". Um, but all this element is a hell of a pick by J- John Robinson. But if you ask me who provides more, who can do more for you, um, I feel like it's still Christian McCaffrey. Um, I still feel like... If if you put Christian McCaffrey back there and they start stopping the run game, okay, they you can flex him out and actually use him in a Julian Edelman type of role because he's that good at catching the football. He has more catches than Corey Davis, and he's a wide receiver. I mean, I mean, just based off that fact, he has more catches than most receivers from that draft class. And I'm not even going to talk about Kenny Galladay's production versus Corey Davis, which is also higher, but. My whole point is let's let's see things. Let's rationalize. Let's first of all, let's salute what is factual and then let's rationalize the rest or or vice versa. However you want to play it. But my whole point is 
those two players are great talents, but it doesn't mean because you like one, it eliminates the other. Me, we all know I'm a CMC guy. It's all over my, my Twitter page, at BU underscore scouting. I have come to respect Derrick Henry's game because my biggest thing with Derrick Henry was once you get penetration on him, the play is over. And teams haven't been able to penetrate early. But once teams game plan and penetrate early versus Derrick Henry, Henry so that he does not get ahead of steam, then what are the Titans going to do? Whereas with Christian McCaffrey, you penetrate early with him. You better damn sure make sure you get him or it's a house call. And it's because of his his ability to operate within a booth. His his short uh, short area quickness is a lot better than Derrick Henry. That's mainly the only thing in the run game other than his height and his ability to move forward, falling forward, gaining an extra yard or two. That's about it. And then if you think about if I had drafted him, you ask any running back, retired running back, would he rather have gained an extra three to four years on his career because he shared the football or or, you know, banged his head against the goalpost for 400 carries a season? You know, which one would they take? I'm pretty sure they would take the extra three or four seasons from sharing the rock. So, you know, CMC is a good running back. Christian McCaffrey is a good running back. Derrick Henry is. But everybody knows who's my guy. And I've come to respect Derrick Henry's game. It's that simple. That's how you operate. That's how you discuss sports and, and, and particularly this situation. So that's really all I had to say. I mean, this isn't, isn't an exciting time for Tennessee Titans uh, fans and the players. Um, and I, I just can't wait just to see how, how it all is going to plan, plan out. So thank you, guys. That's my... Uh, alarm or a door alarm but thank you guys for tuning in um you guys enjoy the season maybe i'll make another one at the end of the season as we recap thanks see you later